There's something really powerful about proclaiming that truth of an unstoppable, unstoppable God. As we come together this Thanksgiving Sunday, this Thanksgiving weekend, uh, we come with thankfulness, hopefully. Thankfulness is really a choice. It's a discipline. It's a conscious choice that we make regardless of where we find ourselves today. And my prayer for you today is that you'll be able to give thanks to God no matter what life is throwing at you right now. Thankfulness in all circumstances. You know, as, I, as we think about this uh, world that we are in, as we think about the news that we watch, as we see what happens on the world stage, we see a world of terror and evil, we're called to thankfulness. As we see a world of hurricanes and floods and even droughts and the extremes of that, we're called to thankfulness. As we experience things in our own lives, whatever that is, we're called to thankfulness. And I'm always so encouraged by and challenged by the Apostle Paul as he writes uh, so many of these texts by the anointing and Spirit of God that we read in Scripture, these letters to the churches, and recognize how Paul was a person who praised God in everything. Somebody who was beaten, whipped, shipwrecked, thrown in prison. Uh, at times it says in Scripture that he had much, and at times it said that he had nothing, but in all things he gives thanks to God. And so this is our Thanksgiving invitation today. Thankfulness in all circumstances because of the gospel. Well, a few weeks ago we were looking at a text and a teaching of Jesus that was teaching about the kingdom of God. And it was the focus on this truth that the kingdom of God is among you. And Jesus was speaking about that to his disciples and to those he was teaching. And we talked about this truth that the kingdom of God has this now and not yet aspect to it. That the kingdom of God is both present, that's something that we experience in the here and now and that we experience today, but that it is also something that we anticipate and that we look forward to and we will see in its fullness one day when Jesus returns. And so the kingdom of God has this now and not yet aspect. We, we see it, we experience uh, it all the time in our lives. We see pain, we experience the evil, we uh, experience the brokenness that we have all around us. You don't have to look very far. And so we wait in anticipation for the fullness of Christ's kingdom. But it begs the question, how is it that we will wait? How do we wait? Do we wait passively? Do we wait in sort of like, oh, well, that isn't happening yet, and so we'll see? Or do we wait in a way that presses in? Do we wait for that fullness of the coming kingdom in an active way? In a way that we're called to live? In a way that uh, we press into and, and live in it and proclaim it, pointing to others, being God's faithful presence, seeing God's faithful presence, and inviting people into God's story in one way? So as we wait for the fullness of the kingdom, I ask us, how is it that we are called to wait? And do we wait in a way that is active? <laughs> We're there. Okay. Last week, uh, Pastor Harry was talking about proclaiming the gospel. And in, in part one of this section, and today I want to do part two, he was talking about the cross. He was talking about proclaiming the gospel of part of how we wait. 
part of how we anticipate the fullness of God's kingdom, the fullness of Christ, and the centrality of the cross in proclaiming the gospel. We're in this series called Faithful Presence, and we are talking about the reality of God's faithful presence in our lives, and also the call that we have to be God's faithful presence in the world as well. And so we're given this ministry of proclaiming the gospel. And today we'll look at this text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and this ministry of reconciliation that is so fundamental to the gospel as well. Part of being a faithful presence is to proclaim this gospel, is to live this gospel. And so what does that mean? You know, this thing is going to drive me crazy. I don't know what's going on today, but it's not working. Okay, I'll get you to talk amongst yourselves in just a minute. So what does it mean to proclaim the gospel? Is it just words from our mouths, or is it just good teaching? Is it the actions of our lives? Is it just how we live, or is it something more? When I look at Paul's writings, it's uh, so apparent to me that Paul was overwhelmed by the gospel. He was so taken by the gospel. He had to proclaim it. If you look at our text, and we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today, and I encourage you to turn there, and we'll primarily look at verses 16 and following, but if you go back even to verse 11 in, in 2 Corinthians 5, you see Paul talking about having this fearful responsibility of wanting to proclaim the gospel. Because of who God is, because of the holiness of God, he couldn't contain himself. He says, I I need to proclaim this gospel and live out of this gospel because of what God has done. And because of the fear of the Lord even made him do it, wanted to persuade persuade others to do it as well. Then in verse 14, he says that it's the love of Christ that controls us, and it's because of this love that he also needs to tell others. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, Paul says, talks about being compelled. And he says, preaching the new good news is not something that I can boast about. He says, I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach this good news. And I'm just struck by this truth of Paul, of somebody who is so compelled to preach this good news of the gospel. It overflowed from him. Because of the truth of what the gospel had done to him and for him. Meeting Jesus for Paul, meeting the crucified Savior, changed him. It led Saul, who became Paul, to move from killing Christians because of hatred to actually planting churches across the known world. You want to talk about transformation. He encountered the ministry of reconciliation of Jesus and became one who proclaimed this gospel to the world. So proclaiming the gospel is an important discipline for us to be an expression of God's faithful presence in our world today, to be God's faithful presence in our families today, to be God's faithful presence in our workplaces today, in every place that we find ourselves in relationship, to be a part of this ministry of reconciliation, of proclaiming this gospel, of living this gospel, and and living out of it in terms of what God has done for us. So let's look a little bit further at this text in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16 and following, and, and more about what Paul teaches about this gospel that we are to proclaim. He says in verse 16, So we have stopped evaluating others from, a human, from merely a human point of view. 
He says, at one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. And this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. So as we look even at that verse 16 to start with, we can ask that question, well, what is the gospel? Well, how does it change us? Well, it helps us to see differently. It helps us to see people differently. It helps us to see circumstances differently. Paul says we see with new eyes. We see in different ways. We see unmistakably. As he says, we stop evaluating others from just a human point of view. And we look differently on situations. I was just uh, not that long ago, just a number of weeks ago, in an airport in the U.S., and as I was traveling through, I got pulled over in security, in the security line, and was one of those situations that many of us have encountered where you get a little bit more attention than normal, and, uh, and so I had the whole pat-down deal done, and, and they were uh, pretty intense about that, and it was interesting because there was a guy beside me who kind of walked through at the same time, and... Uh, from, from looking at him, I could tell just from his features and so on that he was probably from somewhere in the Middle East. And, and it was interesting because I was standing there and I was, had my arms out and I was, they were getting way too personal with me as they were uh, doing what they do to try to make sure that I was uh, not bringing anything in I'm supposed to bring. And, and he and I made eye contact as I was getting kind of frisked down and, and he just kind of smiled at me and just kind of kept walking, this other fellow. And then a little bit later, as they had gone through my bags and all that kind of stuff, and, and he was still there, and we went to collect our, our bags, and he, he kind of smiles at me, and he, he says, uh, I don't know why they were giving you such a hard time. He says, I'm the one from Iran. <laughs> and I kind of laughed, too, and I thought, okay, that's funny. And I appreciated he had a good sense of humor, and, and he thought that was kind of funny. But then I had also this, these fleeting thoughts, these two sad thoughts. And first of all, the first one was, wow. He probably has that expectation and faces that in every Western airport that he goes into. And the second sad thought I had was a thought of conviction because I I realized that even in that moment as I had my arms out and as we made contact, I had the very same thought in my mind. Why am I getting a hard time? Why isn't he? And it was like this moment of confession, repentance in my spirit. And it reminded me of what Paul's talking about here as we think about what the gospel is and how it changes us and how we are to view people differently. We don't just see with the eyes of the world. We we see with the eyes of Jesus and in a way that is different than what we might otherwise look at somebody. We also see our circumstances differently. We see our problems differently. We see pain and death differently. We, We approach things in a different way because of this gospel as well. Because we see the supernatural again. We so often get our eyes drawn down to just the human world that we live in and we forget the supernatural power of Jesus and the reality of the kingdom of God and what this gospel proclaims. And when we see with those different eyes and those circumstances, we say no to the lies that no, people can never change. We say no to the lies that say, no, you can never actually get beyond this very difficult loss. We say no to the lies that, that say, would want to say, well, this situation is hopeless And we see our circumstances differently because of the gospel. Because of Jesus who overwhelmed the grave and put death in its place, we see differently. And so I ask you, when was the last time when you were in a situation where you were 
processing something or talking with somebody that was particularly painful or difficult or complex, and you stopped and you asked the question, what would the gospel say to this? Or you asked the question, what are the, what are the possibilities and the implications of the gospel in this situation? That's what Paul's challenging us to. He's saying we need to see our situations differently. We need to see our problems differently. We need to see our pain differently because of the gospel. How do we allow the gospel to do that in our lives? And when we do that, especially when we do that with others, this is, this is our faithful presence of bringing this faithful presence of kingdom proclamation into our relationships, of kingdom proclamation into our situations, of kingdom proclamation into our difficulties of all kinds. Do we do that? So we keep reading in verse 17, not only do we see differently, but we are different, as Paul says here in 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And there's something immediate to this that happens when our lives are given to Jesus. There is a transformation that happens in that moment, that justification before the living God of our sins taken away and being right before God, absolutely. But then there's also this ongoing, longer-term process of sanctification, this, this holiness project that God has in each of our lives of becoming more and more like Christ. We've talked a little bit about that, that stumbling transformation as we allow the Spirit of God to work in our lives. And so, just like the kingdom of God has a now and yet not yet component to it, our transformation and changing who we are has also a now and not yet component of it as well. There's an immediacy and a nowness to it, and there's also a not yet as we continue to walk in faith, as God continues to change and transform us. So we have been transformed and we are being transformed. If we are a follower of Christ, it changes us. And this is the work again of the gospel that we proclaim and that we live out of. We need to live out of our transformation. We've seen some of the implications of the gospel here in this text of that we look differently, we see differently, that we live differently, but... Let's keep reading and we'll see more of how this gospel is spelled out and what it looks like and how we proclaim it as we read verse 18 to 21. So Paul goes on and he says, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This is not a passive waiting for the kingdom of God. This is an active waiting that God calls us to in this ministry of reconciliation that we proclaim and live out of. So I ask again, what is the gospel? I think that's an important question for us to wrestle with on a regular basis, to ask that question. And if you're a part of a small group who does the sermon study guide, that question is there for you to even write out and articulate in a really simple way. And we've done that here before too, where we just have to think through and write and put pen to paper and go, okay, how would I answer that question? What is the gospel? And I shared with you before my experience years ago is there was a group of us 
Uh, and there's a number of, uh, of us as MB pastors, and we were in New York City, and we were meeting with some of the staff at Tim Keller's church, Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City, and we were in this office tower high-rise in the middle of Manhattan, and we were doing this different, a whole variety of different things, and one of the questions that was put to us was this question, what is the gospel? And to actually write it out and to flesh it out, and it was the first time that I actually had to wrestle with it and kind of articulate it in a really summary statement. This was my statement, and I've shared with it with you before. I said, it is the hope and promise for all creation of restored intimacy with God through Jesus Christ. To me, this captures, no one sentence will ever capture everything, but it captures so much of what the gospel is about, this story of God from beginning to end. It's about this restored relationship, the hope and the promise of all creation of restored intimacy with God, relationship, this ministry of reconciliation by the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. So this is God's faithful presence in the world, reconciling people to himself through Jesus. We're called to this proclamation. We're called to be God's faithful presence as reconcilers as well in every area of our lives. There's the vertical dimension of reconciling people to God, and there's the horizontal connection of reconciling people to people. Are we part of this ministry of reconciliation proclamation? So even that word proclamation, I was intrigued by that word and thinking more about it. What does it mean to proclaim? If you look at a definition, it means to make public, to state publicly matters of great importance. And so it's more than just sort of teaching. It's this proclamation. It's declaring. It's declaring truths that... that, uh, we, we say to people, but it's also living out of these declarations as well with our lives. One author says it this way. He says, proclamation is, is description. It's like an artist painting a picture and describing the world and painting the world that others can see and then inviting them into it. A world that is changed. A world that can change you because Jesus is there. You know, Jesus was a master at this. He did this all the time. Jesus would, would paint a picture, tell a story, and then invite people into this kingdom. He was one who would continually proclaim, hear the kingdom of God. He said, the kingdom of God is among you, as we talked about a number of weeks ago. And he would proclaim, here's what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a mustard seed. It's like a great hidden treasure. The kingdom of God is like yeast in a batch of dough that permeates everything. And so as we proclaim the gospel, what we want to do for people is we, we paint a picture. And sometimes we paint a picture by allowing people into our family life and letting them kind of see what the kingdom of God looks like, even in all its messiness. But is there actually tangible reconciliation and repentance and humility? And are those kind of things evident in our lives? Do people see that picture painted around us? Do people see that picture painted in how we talk about our faith in Jesus and what it means to know God and have a relationship with God? Are they intrigued by that? Are they drawn into this story? Do we invite them into that picture and that story of that hidden treasure of what it looks like? That's the proclamation that we're called to. And so we're called to be peacemakers in this ministry of reconciliation. You know, our Mennonite Brethren denomination that we're a part of is known for this commitment to peacemaking, to be proclaimers of the ministry of reconciliation. What I've been so encouraged by is that this is a distinctive that is being rediscovered, reclaimed, repurposed, 
and lived out in new ways by our younger generation. It's a message and it's a calling that is desperately needed in the world today in all kinds of settings. It's needed globally all over the place in conflict zones that are around the world that we see all the time. It's needed nationally, even just as you think about our First Nations brothers and sisters and the need for reconciliation. It's needed right there in our own homes and in our own families and in our own workplaces and in our own context, this ministry of reconciliation in all kinds of places. I had the privilege again this, just this past week of being at, at MB Mission board meetings that I'm a part of and to hear again some stories of what God is doing around the world and oftentimes stories that aren't put on websites and they aren't publicized or, or put out there with all the details because of some of the countries that are a part of that. But to see what God is doing around the world with this ministry of reconciliation, it reminded me again, and it's a word of encouragement to me and to you, that when we watch the news and we see some of these areas of the world and the cities that are destroyed and bombed and torn apart, that there is another story that is happening there behind the scenes on the ground where God is at work and changing lives continually over and over and over again. We've heard some of the story of people like Marley Berg, who's part of our congregation, and others who've been part of Building Leaders for Peace, and where these peace teams have gone into certain conflict zone and regions of the world and, and actually connected intentionally people from different people groups and people groups who have actually been fighting with each other and bringing them together to actually talk about what does it mean to forgive? What does it mean to reconcile? What does it mean to actually experience and encounter the Prince of Peace? And remarkable things are happening in so many different settings as this 2 Corinthians 5 ministry of reconciliation is happening vertically and horizontally in all kinds of ways. There is an unprecedented openness to the Prince of Peace, to Jesus. People are so tired of war in so many of these regions of the world. So tired of constant fighting of empty religion, so ready for the message of reconciliation and wanting to experience it, and it's happening. It's interesting to me, and and it's ironic, and how God uses some of these awful things for his purposes and for his good. And it's ironic to me how ISIS and all its terror, along with the flow of humanity from these conflict zones, in so many ways is pushing all kinds of people into the arms of Jesus because they're looking for something different. They're looking for something different more. Years ago, there was a missiologist named David Bosch who once said at that time, he says, in the future, peacemaking will be evangelism. You know what? There is probably few times in history like this time where that is so true. But it takes our faithful presence. In fact, it is out of our presence in people's lives that we proclaim this. One of the leaders who was reporting, and he said, oftentimes in the West, we think and we see what's happening in other parts of the world, we'll say, well, we'll wait because it's actually too dangerous to go right now. We'll wait till it kind of calms down and it's safer. And he goes, you know what? Then it's going to be too late. And even as a board, we wrestle with the question, as a board has responsibility for risk assessment, and we wrestle with the question, and we go, okay, in the work that we're doing, is martyrdom an okay outcome? And the answer is yes, if we really believe the gospel. And so those are some of the situations that people are actually being called into. Those are situations that some of our brothers and sisters and Christian brothers and sisters are walking into to bring the hope and the promise of the gospel 
into these regions of the world. You know, as we come through another week of terror and evil, as we have again in this last week, as we see what happened in Las Vegas, in Edmonton, in parts of Europe, in the wars in Cameroon, I mean, just go on the website, you can find places in all kinds of countries and regions of the world of things that are happening. As we see the destructiveness of hurricanes, it's really easy to ask the question, well, how do we respond? And again, to be immobilized, as we've talked about before. What I even think as a, as a pastor, what, what should I say about this? What do we do if we're a follower of Jesus? For any of us, how do we respond? And the conviction for me, again, is that the most important thing that we can continue to do is actually be the church, is actually proclaim the gospel with our mouths and with our lives, that each of us would live out of this ministry reconciliation every day, every day, in all kinds of ways. And in some ways, we need to actually stop going to church. Interesting thing for a pastor to say. But please hear me on what I mean by that. We need to stop going to church. If all we do is just sort of go through the motions of coming on a Sunday, sitting in comfortable pews, and then going home. We actually need to be the church every day. We need to live out this gospel of ministry of reconciliation every day. To be the real church, the authentic church, to pull down our masks, to confess, to repent, to humble ourselves, to forgive, to love, to hope. This is how we respond when we face the kind of world that we face today. This is the gospel that we proclaim. This is the gospel that we are called to live out of because this is what changes the hearts of people. And this is the only thing that can make a radical difference in the world today. Because hearts are transformed as they encounter the Prince of Peace. And so where do we start? Well, we start right here. We start with someone you know. Maybe with someone you hate. Okay, maybe that's too strong a word. Uh, Because you don't hate anyone, right? Okay, maybe it's just somebody you avoid. Think of those people in your life. Maybe somebody who hurt you, who doesn't deserve forgiveness because justice hasn't been paid yet. That's where we start. We set them free and we forgive. And you know what we find in the process? We find that we're set free in the midst of that. So this is the ministry of reconciliation that is the gospel that we proclaim and the gospel that we live. It means to see things differently. Proclaiming the gospel means to speak differently. Proclaiming the gospel means to live differently. It's an all-encompassing call and proclamation because of what God has done in Jesus. Thankfulness for this gospel is what compels us. So are we thankful? Last thing I want to do is just leave you with this question. So what is your peace assignment today? How will you respond? How will you be God's faithful presence and proclaim this gospel, this ministry of reconciliation this week and be the church? Worship team, if you'd come up, I invite you to come up and lead us in some response and I would just invite you to pray with me as we conclude. Let's pray together. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth and the fact that you are a God who initiates this reconciliation, that it is because of what you have done through Jesus Christ that we 
are compelled to respond in kind and to extend that love and grace and forgiveness to others. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people who just stop going to church, but that you would help us to be a people who continually are called to be the church. And, Lord, that you would just help us to take down some of the masks that we put up even when we gather here on a Sunday morning, that you would help us to forgive one another, humble ourselves before each other, be real with each other, And God, I pray that you would help us to extend that into our families and into our different contexts. And God, even this Thanksgiving weekend as we gather around tables or maybe we connect with family or relatives or places and relationships that are hard and challenging, God, I pray that you would just give us our peace assignment for today and this weekend and that you would prompt us and help us to know how to live out of this gospel, to proclaim it with both our mouths and to proclaim it with our lives. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to see differently and to live differently because of what you have done. And so, God, we give you thanks. Thank you for this ministry of reconciliation. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.